So as we continue in our time uh, of 1 Peter this morning, we're still in this same section here, and I, I really want us to focus this morning largely on just verse 17 and its implications, but we have to understand verse 17 and all that we've looked at thus far. And last week, you recall, and I hope you're kind of growing to embody this or strengthening your conscience in the matter, that the grounds for our pursuit of moral purity and as Christians in an age that is passing away, pilgrims on the way, uh, growing our character in pursuit of holiness is an important, very important category to our life of peace and happiness and joy. It's important that this is a part of our Christian journey that we pay careful attention to, accountability, friendships, meaningful relationships that help aid our pursuit of holiness. But remember, we have to keep the order of our pursuit of holiness in correct proportion. Remember, so the grounds for your pursuit, why am I pursuing it at all? Why pursue holiness? The grounds of my pursuit of moral purity is the holiness of God. God is holy, and that's why Peter strengthens it. Remember, it is written that you would know this, that the church always, under even the old covenant, knew this very well, that to pursue holiness is the pursuit based upon the facts of God's very own holiness. Now, remember, God is holy both in his essence, that is something that we carefully consider, he is holy. That's what holiness is. He is himself holy in essence, but he is also holy in his ethics. He acts in his decrees with perfect purity and righteous justice. And because you know God, you have come to be known by him, who is both holy in essence and holy in ethics, you shall therefore also be holy. Again, why pursue holiness? Why the strenuous activity to try and strengthen your character, refuse to sow bad habits? Why? What's the cause for such strained activity? Because God is holy. That's why. You belong to him. And now further, Peter is going to press in upon this issue of identity. Again, we looked at this slightly, uh, just briefly last week, but notice this issue of familial relation. Verse 14. Again, it was just read for you beginning of verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Again, it's going it's to take sober-mindedness. Be sober-minded. Do, do that. Pursue thoughtfulness. Set your hope on grace. Verse 14. As obedient children. Don't be conformed to the passion of your former ignorance. Again, if you think of your life in the faith, of how, why, why the moral conduct, why would I strive to say no to certain things and say yes to other disciplines? Why would I do this? What is Peter saying? What is he reminding me and setting to my conscience that would spur me on to make behavioral change? Because he lays in of your family relation to God. You are no longer belonging to the impulsive and wicked manner of life that you once possessed. Impulsiveness doesn't have its place in Christian conduct. A wicked manner of lifestyle, sowing bad habits, which reach, reap even worse character, cannot be a part of your life. Why? Because you belong to a holy family. In fact, in contrast, 
to being impulsive, being wicked in your secret conduct. Rather, be sober-minded in your judgments. Remember a few weeks ago we defined sober-mindedness and the add-on of being sober-minded and preparing your mind for action. We simply said we need to be thoughtfully self-controlled individuals. This is something we need to strive for in our conduct, to be thoughtfully self-controlled. If I could add to that just for a moment, if we were to tease out, what would that mean to be a thoughtfully sober-minded, a thoughtfully self-controlled individual? Perhaps to some of the young people, younger people, pursuing career, living life in a web of relationships, considering networking. I would urge each of us as Christians, as we're migrating through all of the issues of younger life, we must teach and model a different scale of values. We must be about the business of teaching those around us, modeling for our children a different scale of values than the current culture possesses. We need to resist assimilating to culture. Perhaps you could think, what does it mean where you're at in life to resist assimilating? How can you think, I want to mirror my familial relation I belong to God who is holy, and I want to live out that ethic and being a thoughtfully self-controlled individual. I want to be a good family member. I want to be a child to God who is my father. What does that look like? But instead of investing in prestige, education, power, what amounts to resume building, we need to orient our lives around good character that seeks to love our neighbor and enjoy God's good gifts and rightful gratitude. Again, we can get into do's and don'ts, do's and don'ts, do this, don't do that. Don't be caught dead doing this or behaving this way or watching that program, but just think for a moment in the bigger categories of life, investing in prestige, power, and education, all the things that amount to nothing more than resume building is what our culture is after. We need to orient our lives around good character that seeks to love one's neighbor and to enjoy God's good gifts and rightful gratitude. This is what it would mean to live life thoughtfully self-controlled. Now, there's a certain measure here that Peter's going to play in or lean in upon on the idea of the measure of mimicry that goes on in natural households and is to be a part of our life in the spiritual household. You see, children... And we have many of the young ones here in the church and more to come. Each time a baby is born and folks begin to talk, one child, when the child is born, looks like one parent, if not even both parents, from the moment they are born. As they progress through time, they begin to act like one or both of their parents in certain behavioral patterns. Again, that is both good and bad. But Peter uses the exact same familial concept children behaving and mimicking like their parents. He uses the same concept in the spiritual household to lean in on your call to performative holiness. That is, the natural family relation of a child who mimics his father or his mother or her mother, etc., etc. The child who mimics a parental behavior is what Peter leans in on for us to consider in our lives of holiness. You see, before God was your father, 
you were idolatrous. You lived, perhaps, in immorality, an immorality of mindset, drunkenness and behavior, vanity, anger, all that goes with it, pride of place, etc., etc., etc. Before you knew God as your father, this is who you were. Notice the text. As obedient children, now, don't be conformed to what? To the passions of your former ignorance, idolatry, immorality, drunkenness, vanity, power, pride, etc., you were at one time, Peter says, ignorant of doing what was right. But now you have come to know holiness. How have we come to know holiness by first being birthed into a holy family? You're obedient children. You belong to God as your father. Mimic your father. Follow in behavior that is fit for a holy family. What attends to the birthing? Remember, we notice this again and again. I'll simply cite it for you once more just to get the order right. Notice verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 14. Now, as these obedient children birthed in this holy family pursue holiness. Look at verse 17. I'll pick up in verse 14, I guess, and then I'll read down through 17 and we'll pursue the text this morning. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You just were ignorant of, of holiness. You were ignorant of the categories. You were ignorant on the level of character pursuit. You were ignorant and you performed a life of passion. But, now that you're as obedient children, verse 15, as he who called you out of that, he who called you out of this previous life of ignorance, he who called you out of that is holy. This is the grounds of your then pursuit. You also, since he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In, in what manner of life? In all manners. In, in all your conduct. Resist impulsive ignorance. Again, the reminder from the law, verse 16, since it is written, it's codified for the people of God. It is written, you shall be holy. Upon what grounds? My holiness. For I am holy. And then, as I mentioned just by way of introduction, Peter leans in on the familiar relation began in verse 14. You're a child in this family. He reiterates that in verse 17. And if you do call on him, right, if, if you call on him as father, so again, the familiar relation that you're an obedient child. If you are a child in this holy family, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. Now, I want to pursue verse 17 with you for a few moments. It's very important that we get these categories right and the formulations correct. So I'm trying not to be tongue-tied and try to make sure that, I, that I'm helpful in this text 
for your sake, for my own, that together we receive this text in the way in which we are to receive it and will aid in our perseverance. But I have two questions I think we have to ask about this text. I'm sure you've thought of it before. Perhaps you've brought resolution to yourself in various studies to these questions, but I want to prompt you to ask them yet again with me this morning, and I hope to provide an answer and a way forward. Question number one that we have to ask, to make meaning out of verse 17 in the entirety of the familial text, beginning in verse 14, about your pursuit of holiness. Question number one that I'm prompted to ask based on verse 17 is this. What does it mean that God judges impartially? That's the first question that you have to add, right? Because he's saying, and if you call on him, and, and you're saying, so let's put it this way. He says, and if you call on him as father, and you're saying, I do. Because I, I've been birthed in this family in verse 3. I, I belong to the household of faith. And then I hear Peter say, then as an obedient child, and you say, yes, I want to be that, or, or I'm in pursuit of that in my pilgrim's journey, for better or for worse. For moments of highs and moments of low. Overall, as I cast my life in its order, I'm pursuing this obedient childhood. I'm, I'm pursuing it. Okay, then. If, then, you are that individual and you call on him as father who judges impartially, you're like, what, 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 how is that, what does that mean? He judges impartially. The second question, because this is supposed to push you on in your obedient living. So you have to figure out what does it mean. Question number one, what does it mean that God judges impartially? And related to that is question number two. How does the fact that God judges impartially urge me on to greater obedience? Right? Because so, so, so he says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially, in fact, impartially, according to each one's deeds. He adds your conduct to that. Conduct yourself then. If, if, if you're embracing part A, conduct yourself according to part B through fear in your time of exile. So you know you're in exile. You've already embraced that from the text. We worked on that weeks and weeks and weeks ago. The entirety of the letter is given over to the Christian exile, the sojourner. So you are this person who is living in exile, and he's telling you how to live in it. Conduct your life in fear in it. Fear based on what? God judges. How does he judge? He judges impartially. According to what? My deeds. Have you ever thought of that? So, so let me ask you this. So I'll put the two questions in tandem and work through them. Number one, what does it mean that God judges impartially? And related to that, how does the fact that God judges impartially urge me on to greater obedience? Because wouldn't it be odd that God's judgment would spur me on to greater obedience if I really understand that he's holy? Because I don't know how it would urge me on to obedience. It would urge me on to crippling fear. Right? So if, if, I, if I categorize God's holiness, and then I think about myself for less than 10 seconds, I'm thinking there's such a chasm between the two. Um, I don't feel urged on. I feel crushed under the thought. So, but it's, it's not meant to crush me. It's meant to fuel me. How do these things relate? 
Number one, the question of what does it mean that God judges impartially? If I could describe it for you, and I kind of gestured in that direction at the very beginning, but it is simply this. God's impartiality means that he does not differentiate according to the flesh. If you could jot that down or think about that in your mind, simply put, God's impartiality. If you call on him who, uh, as father who judges impartially, that you're like, what, what, what type of judgment is he doing? It's impartial judgment. What does that mean? But that he does not differentiate. According to what? According to the flesh. You see, he does not judge you on the basis of your intelligence, on the basis of your beauty, on the basis of man's power or riches or connections. That's why I say to you, if we're, if we're to embody the Christian faith, it is to teach, it is to model a different scale of values. We have to resist being assimilated into culture's scale of values. Why? Because we pursue differentiation amongst us by the flesh. Prestige of place, power of education, finances in the account, resume building. This is how we differentiate between us. This is why we sacrifice faith to pursue it. Because we have pride of place as the object of our faith. So we're, we're being reminded, no, 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 no. You, you can't assimilate into that culture. You can't assimilate in that scale of values because you're an obedient child. You belong to, uh, to, to that family. No, you don't belong to that family. You belong to God's family. You belong to a holy family. So your culture to which you assimilate is markedly different. And what helps you and aids you in making that sacrifice to the flesh, that I really want this and I want that stroke and I want that acclamation, I want that recognition, what helps blunt that blow of giving that up in order to pursue a life of family, simplicity, growth, dedication, and discipleship, is that I remember God does not judge me according to that. That is not how he views me. What difference does that make? I belong to him. His judgments of me is what I want to scale my life by. I immediately find out that if I call upon him as father, I find out something striking about his judgment. It does not differentiate according to the flesh. He is not moved by the things of the flesh that I've accumulated or things that I've worked hard, strive to achieve. He's not moved by these things. And taking them into account of my life, he judges me indeed apart from those considerations. But there is something that he does judge me by. Peter is very clear. Notice that. So, so, and if you call on him as father, you belong to a holy family. Remember, he judges impartially. And just, I want you to think of it, if you can, again, about this issue of cultural assimilation. That would be, um, if you could argue, he could judge me partially. Like he could take into account my accomplishments and he could put them on the scale amongst fellow human beings. But he doesn't, he's judging you impartially, but he is judging you according to something. That is, he judges impartially, but according to each one's deed. 
Again, I'll clarify the issue of deeds and according to deeds in a moment, but I just want you to consider with me, step one is, God is not moved according to the flesh. He judges apart from the considerations of the flesh, and he judges solely according to each one's deeds. Again, I'll clarify that in just a moment. But the concept that God judges impartially leads me to my next question, which is this. So, so if right now you're, you're sitting, you're thinking with me, you're thinking about judgment. And you're thinking about judgment as a believer. And you're thinking about judgment in terms of spurring you on because if you're like me and you think of judgment in terms of your person and God's holiness, you're receiving a crushing blow. So you're trying to kind of square this circle of understanding judgment in relation to your father. And you know the frailty of your deeds. So you're already concerned on the scale of deeds done. You're like, well, if he's judging and it's impartial and I can't throw in my dastardly good looks, on top of my really poor deeds, we could be in a real situation. So you're like, yeah, right, you can't. You cannot. You cannot. You're left to saying he judges impartially according to all the things I spent my whole life trying to achieve. Now I've been stripped bare and I'm standing here with deeds. You're questioning the deeds. So how is that supposed to urge me on to greater obedience? Maybe you think like perhaps me and we're thinking about this together. It's I thought that as a Christian, I will not be judged. Wait a minute. So you're an obedient child. Yes, I'm a child. You've been born again to a living hope. Yes. And then you remember just a few statements ago, Peter said, set your hope on grace. You're like, okay. So I've been birthed into a holy family. I belong to God as my father and Christ as my brother. He has rescued me and I was told to set my hope and my pilgrim's journey on the grace that will be revealed to me when he appears. So is my hope set on grace or is my concern withdrawn from grace because I'm fearful of judgment because I know my deeds? How am I Figuring this out, I thought that as a Christian, I, might, I, I, I absolutely would not be judged. That is, maybe you're thinking even in this moment and reading these difficult texts, because Peter isn't the only one that mentions it. You're thinking in your mind, I am assured that as a Christian, I will not face God's judgment either today or tomorrow, for I have been declared righteous in Christ, and therefore Peter and Paul alike have assured me there remains no condemnation for me. That is the good news of the news that's pronounced. So how are we doing this? This isn't the only time you know this I know this together, we've seen this in scripture, and you see it in ordinary conversation, whether it be politics, philosophy, uh, uh, math, pick your place. Wherever it is in your sphere of thought, two things can be true simultaneously. So, so let me give that to you, and let's, let's finish up this text. Simultaneously, there are two things that are true about your life as a Christian. 
and as you finish your pilgrim's journey and try to live it out faithfully. There are two things simultaneously true. They are, number one, you have to get the order right and you have to think it all the way through. Number one, two things are simultaneously true about my life in Christ. Number one, I am justified by grace alone. You have to accentuate the alones. Labor there. Put all your weight on there. This place of the alones is where you have to rest. And so listen to the language. You're justified by faith. Yeah, sure. No, no, I mean it. Like, I mean it as in, like, I'm justified by faith alone. I mean it. Okay, but that does, what is Peter saying then? So, number one, I am, as a Christian, I am justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, I will not face judgment. Again, I, I will help with this, but you have to think this through and lay it to conscience. I'll read one, one more time because that's kind of what I do. And then we'll move on to number two. I am justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Therefore, I will not face judgment. Number two. Number two, there are two things simultaneously true at the same time. This is legal, it's appropriate, it's right, it works. This is how it goes. Number two, I will be judged in the future. And make sure you, if you're jotting and you're going to lay these conscience and work through these categories, be very careful here. Be very, very careful. I will be judged in the future according to my deeds. So, so get the according to in the note. Because the very next question that you're probably asking right now, <clears throat> if you wrote them down or you, you, you thought them through in your mind and you heard both of them together, your question is this. How are these two, ta- two statements simultaneously true and not contradictory? Right? And, and if you, you, you're a thoughtful believer, you've had these concerns before. Because each one of us celebrate that it is through faith by grace alone, in Christ that rests upon, and in faith that rests upon Christ alone. We, we've all celebrated that. We always regularly celebrate that, daily, hourly celebrate that. And yet you've come across troubling statements in the text that, like, you're limping along with. You're, you're thinking about this issue of justice and judgment and freedom in Christ, right? So how can these two statements, I won't be judged and I will be judged, be simultaneously true and not contradictory? The answer is this. Because they are held in right order. And I'll explain. But in the short, as I mentioned uh, maybe two weeks ago, even in the functionality of the ordering of the letter itself, Peter has right order. Because these two statements are held in right order. I want to note first, carefully, for you to work through this consideration. Note very carefully what Peter says here. I'll read the text again, and then we'll just piece a couple of it, uh, uh, statements together. Right, so you're the child. You belong to a holy family. You used to be ignorant, but you're no longer that. 
So he's calling forth your, 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 clue, your, your new and your clear identity and understanding. He's calling you to right conduct because you, you know better now. And, and then he presses further. And if you call on him as father, which you do, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, then think about your deeds wisely. Conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of your exile. Notice carefully that we are not being judged through our works. We're not being judged through our deeds. This is very, it's not semantics. It's not like, oh, that's a tricky little nuance. No, no, no. This is, stands the time of, of preaching from the beginning of the New Testament till now. That, we, that we're right on Protestant grounds. This is right. We have to think about where deeds and how deeds factor into our life in faith that we walk in Christ as holy children. Notice very carefully and meditate on it. Long time. Consider, you are not, the Christian is not being judged through his or her deeds. God is not sifting through them and deciding which ones are of value and of what scale of merit. Well, that was only 20 cent merit. The rest of it was selfish. I'll take the 20% and I'll leave the 80. What else you got? This is not the view of judgment. This is why you can still set your heart and hope on grace that will be revealed. Grace. Because the Christian is not being judged through his or her works. Further, there's yet another distinction to be made that we need to be careful on. Neither is the Christian man or woman being judged on the basis of his or her works. You're not judging through them. Let me sift through what you've done and I'll scale out the good parts and throw away the bad and see where you end up after we do that project. No, or on the basis of, they're simply set on a scale of divine record. You're not being judged on the basis of them. What will you plead? Well, orthodoxy has it wrong all the time. They've encouraged us to hope in Christ, but we all know if you read those troubling texts, we're really going to have to set our hope on works. We just pretended not to embrace Roman doctrines. But we all kind of silently did. No, 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 no. We're not being judged either today or tomorrow on the basis of your works. But rather, Peter makes clear we will be judged in accordance to our works. What does that prove? But that fruit of works flow from faith which is possessed. You see, what's the nuance? It means that our deeds are never what justifies before God, either today or tomorrow. Please, you have to lay this to your conscience because you're, you, you're, you're structured, you're hardwired in a covenant of works program. You want, in your own selfish, guilt-ridden kind of sense of spirituality, 
you want to prove by your deeds. That's why, like, if we preach about performance, you can, you can grow a crowd and get some real good traction because it, it corresponds to the weight we bear because our faith is fragile. Let me urge you, this means that our deeds are never justifying us before God, either today or tomorrow. Rather, our deeds justify our profession in this life that we indeed are children of God's family. You see, deeds are the fruit of faith. They, they, will, they, they, they will be meted out. It, the, the fruits will be evident. The, the deeds are evident. A man will be judged according to these deeds. Deeds, according to, not on the basis of, or because of, or through, but in accordance with. With what? A faith. A lively faith. That terminates on Christ. You see, the final judgment will not render a verdict. I, I, please hear this. Is I'm, I'm working towards my conclusion. Only 45 more minutes. Uh, you, you lay this to your mind. The final judgment will not this is the only way that God's holiness does not terrorize you if you have any concept for what it is and what you are. The final judgment will not render a verdict that is different than the one that we enjoy today. Rather, it will confirm the elect as those who have been not only justified, but indeed as evidenced sanctified by grace. It will confirm that indeed your faith terminated on him. It won't decide. Your deeds won't determine whether you trusted in him or not. Your deeds will confirm a lively faith that clung to him. Calvin comments, after God has received us into his favor, us as people, right? So hear, hear it in concert of this text. You've been birthed into this family. He caused you to be born. And, and now as obedient children, they're no longer lost in ignorance, but laid hold of light by his mercy. You belong to him as father. You're his child. After God has received us into his favor, he also receives our works. How? As a gracious father. There is therefore no inconsistency in saying that he rewards our good works, provided we understand they are his works. The next text, it's, it's verse 18. Pastor Dan will be covering it next week. 
but I'll just take it all away from him right now. But the idea is he tells you what informs your perseverance. Do, do you see what, what, like, so, so what are you supposed to do? How, how, what's your fear? How, what shape is your fear going to take? How, how are you going to be sober-minded, prepared for action as an obedient child? What, what am I supposed to know? Well, God's going to judge you for every single thing that you did apart from faith. No, 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 that, that's actually not the case. What, what, what am I supposed to lay to conscience and know that will further my life with my God who says I'll be holy like he is holy? What, what, what will spur my obedience? My desire not to assimilate with culture. What, what shall I lay to conscience and fill to the mind? Verse 18, knowing. What, what should I know that will lift my spirit and fuel my perseverance? That you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Know that. You were not, you were not redeemed or ransomed with perishable things. This is what you should know. This is how you, 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 you'll call on him who judges impartially, not according to what your forefathers said, not according to your degree, not according to your job, not according to your network. That, that's, not what, that's not it. That's, that's not who you'll be. That's not who you should seek to be today. It gives you no aid tomorrow. Then what should I know? How special I am, how awesome I can be. You should know that you've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, that knowledge of what he has done in your stead should fuel your life as an exile. That's what you should know. That's why you can, because you know that, set your hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when he comes. And he'll look at my deeds, and indeed he will judge them as confirmation that I belong to him, not on the basis of them. Three things in conclusion, then, three things to remember from my life of growth. Three things. If you were to think with me on this text and lay it to conscience and meditate it on it further and think about the linguistics and how the argument is made in the text, take away three things to remember from my life in growth. Number one, the judge is my father. Right? If you call on him as father, as obedient children, you've been birthed in his family. What should I remember as I enter into his courts? He is my father. I belong to him. Number two, fruit will follow my faith. Fruit will follow my faith. That's why I say to you, when you look at um, uh, be holy for I am holy, it's both a pursuit and it's an indicative statement. It's a statement that's true. You, you shall be holy. You're like, well, you don't know me. I, I don't think I probably will. It, no. You shall be holy, for I am holy. We're in a familiar relationship. You will be. Pursue it vigorously. Thirdly, and this is the point of pursuit, my motivation for holiness in resisting culture not assimilating it, but growing in God's family. My motivation for my pursuit of holiness comes from knowing that I've been ransomed by Jesus Christ. My motivation for holiness comes from knowing that I've been ransomed by Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this and texts like it, the, the, the things that call us to be thoughtful, 
and, and, and be rigorous in, in, in the way that we apply your word and we think through all of its glorious statements, all, all the things and understand that there is indeed no contradiction with you. But, but you are truth. Truth is where you're found. And, and so, Lord, thank you for these texts. Thank you for your word. Help us against the flesh, for we fall away from this. And we want to pursue things that will purge us from our own wickedness on our own account. Let us flee to Christ. Let us remember by knowing and calling to mind that you are holy and that Christ redeemed us so that we would likewise be holy. Where we are weak in good works, please help. Let us be disciplined. Let us give ourselves the ordinary means of your word, your table, baptism, your preached word, discipline and prayer so that your spirit will continue by your grace and mercy to produce confirming fruit so that it will kill our doubt. Help us in these things. We are weak, frail. You know that. We are altogether human. Help us. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.